This is Dear Analyst, episode number 41, and in this episode, I'm going to be talking about how you can do a VLOOKUP to a lookup table where your lookup column is all the way at the very end in your table, and it's not the first column, so you can't reference it as like the first column in the table you're looking up. It's a classic problem when you're running into VLOOKUP issues when your lookup column is not at the very beginning and you have to use index match or a bunch of other different solutions. And I'm going to be talking about a solution that I recently discovered that allows you to do VLOOKUP using arrays in Excel or Google Sheets. So we're going to be using this data set that is kind of fake but kind of real. TikTok right now, TikTok right now is in the news. The, the app that a um, bunch of kids and, well, basically everyone's using to record dance, little short dances. And right now there's a bunch of talks about which company is going to acquire the U.S. operations of TikTok. So a few companies that are mentioned in the news include Microsoft, Walmart. Well, actually, Microsoft and Walmart are doing combined bid. At least they are right now in the news. Triller is one of TikTok's competitors. And then Oracle is also in the news about potentially acquiring TikTok. I think um, Netflix was mentioned at some point. Um, I threw an SAP here just because I think it's kind of funny that a bunch of these traditional database architecture companies like Oracle, Microsoft are trying to buy this company that makes these short videos for high school kids that are dancing. Anyways, let's look at our data set. So in column A, I have an ID, just some random numbers representing an ID for that given row. Column B is a TikTok bid, that's the dollar amount. And so for ID number three, we have $20 billion. For ID number five, we have 15 billion and just some other numbers below. And then company column C is company name. All the values in that column are blank. Company D is market cap and that column is also blank. So if you're just listening to this on the podcast, a and B is ID and TikTok bid, which have values in them. Column C and column D are company name and market cap, and those are empty columns. Now, if I look at my lookup table, column F contains company name. We have Microsoft, Walmart, Triller, Oracle, and SAP from rows two through five, two through six. Column G has the website URL. Column H has the market cap for each of these companies. And then column I, the last column in my kind of lookup table, is company ID. So the issue here is that in my main table where I want to pull in data, ID is the only kind of unique identifier I have in my data set with a TikTok bid in dollar amount next to the ID. But the company ID is ranked one through five in column I, and it's the last column in my kind of reference table, so or lookup table from F1 through I6 is my reference table. So how do I get the company name Microsoft into, well, actually, how do I get the company name Triller, which is the ID3, into C2, which is an empty value right now, but it, can, it has the company name column that I want to pull information from my lookup table. So a few options here that you may be doing today to do a VLOOKUP where you're unique identifier in your lookup table is at the very end of your um, 
of your lookup table. Just and just to re recap, if you I'm in columns, I'm in cell C2 right now. If I do a VLOOKUP and I want to look up this ID number in column in cell A1, comma, I can't go like that because my company ID is also all the way at the very end. And when you do a VLOOKUP, the table that you're referencing in this case, F2 through I6, F column F has to contain all my ID numbers. And it doesn't because column I, at the very end, contains my ID numbers. So some options you can do today is, one option is to click on column F, right click, and then go insert one left. And then you can literally just cut and paste column J now, which is company ID, into column F. So now you have company ID, which is the first column in your lookup table from F1 through I6, and now you can do a regular VLOOKUP formula in C2, VLOOKUP equals VLOOKUP, left parentheses, um, A2, which contains my ID number, comma, F, F2 through I6, comma, and the company name is the second column now in my lookup table, comma, zero, and now I can see that ID number three is the company name of Triller. So this is one option, not my preferred option, because you have to do some copying and paste, cutting and pasting and moving columns around, not the most ideal scenario. The other option is you can assume that column I stays fixed. It contains your company ID. And then you can actually duplicate some of the column, columns data here. So you can say company name in column J. Column K will be market cap. And then in, call, in cell J2, you can set that to equal to reference F2, which contains the company name. Market cap, you can say equals H2, which contains the market cap. And just drag these formulas down. And now you have duplicated company name and market cap in columns J and column K. And with the VLOOKUP in column C, you can say equals VLOOKUP left parentheses A2, which contains an ID, comma, and then you can start from I2 to K6, which contains the company ID, which is the, in the leftmost column of our lookup table, and then we have columns J and column K, which have our, basically, a copy or reference to the actual data. I can say comma 2, comma 0, because company name now is in also in column J, and I can see that it pulls in the company name, of course. Again, this solution, also not my favorite because you basically are replicating company name and market cap in columns J and column K. And if someone is looking at this data set fresh, they may be wondering why is company name duplicated in column F and in column J? And the answer is that column J and K are references to other columns in your lookup table. And so it's like, it kind of works, but you know, if you have a really large data table, and you're doing a bunch of lookup values, like you could have, you could basically double the size of your table because you want to be able to include all the columns you want to look up to the right of your company ID column, which is column I. So if you are not using index match, here is another solution that works that you may not know about, which is using arrays. So we're going to assume that F1 through I6, so is our lookup table. We're not doing any like moving columns around or cutting and pasting things or doing references to existing columns. We're going to use array formulas. 
So what I can do here is write equals VLOOKUP, left parentheses. I'm going to still reference A2, which is my ID number. And then instead of referencing the table like this, what I'm going to do is put a left bracket like that, and then select company ID here as my first like value for my array. And I'm just going to put in some dollar signs here just to make this an absolute reference. So dollar sign I, dollar sign two, colon dollar sign I, dollar sign six. And then if I move over here, I'm going to say comma, and then select company name. And do the same thing, add some dollar signs to the left of those cell references, and then close this off with a right bracket. This looks really non-traditional in terms of how you may be using VLOOKUP today, but trust me, it works. Now I can say comma two, comma zero. And what I'm telling Google Sheets or Excel is give me this left bracket, right bracket here is kind of creating a fake table, but I'm putting company ID as the first column and then company name as the second column. And I'm forming my own kind of table in the back end of this formula. Hit enter. And you'll see that if I drag this formula down, it properly pulls in the data, the company name based on the company ID in column A using this bracket notation, which is an array. And how you can check to see what this array actually presents, if I copy this, I'm just going to go down to cell F9 here and write equals um, left, left bracket I2, I6, comma, F2, F6, hit enter. You'll see that what returns is essentially the first Col uh, first column reference, which is column I, which contains the company ID in my lookup table, followed by column F, which is the company name. And it gives you this kind of fake little table of company ID followed by company name. And this is the same table that is being referenced in this VLOOKUP. It's kind of a weird thing because like, if you double click into like one of these, one of the values in this array output, it looks like it's a hard-coded number, hard-coded value, but if you delete something, you notice that you get this reference error, and that's because you have basically deleted something within the array formula. I'm just going to undo that. So the only way you can know that this is coming from an array formula is if you go to the top left of the formula, top left of the table rather, you'll see that this contains the left bracket notation with the company ID and the company name. So not the most ideal situation, but it is what it is, and I'm just going to finish this off. Like if I copy this, put this into market cap. I'm taking the company name formula, putting it into market cap now. And instead I'm going to reference column H here instead of F for my second column. And I'm going to get the market cap. Oops. Drag that down. And now you can see that it properly pulls in the market cap as well. And again, I don't, I'm not a huge fan of this solution, but it does work because you can, um, reference basically backwards columns in your lookup table. But as you can see here, a lookup, a, a, an array of two columns is kind of hard to understand if you are looking at from, from this angle where some values look like they're hard-coded, but in reality, it's an, a formula. So that is how you can do the VLOOKUP with a backward-looking, using um, a company ID, a lookup, a company unique identifier that is in the rightmost of your lookup table. And 
the other option, and this is probably the most preferred option by other Excel Google Sheets purists, is just using a traditional index match. And that looks just like this. You do equals index. I'm in company name now in column C equals index left parentheses. Uh, I think I first do the, the company name, which is column F comma, and then do a match here. I'm trying to match the ID with the company ID here in column I close out parentheses and you get the same results. So the index match always works with the left looking um, lookup value you're trying to pull in from your table. Um, but <clears throat> the problem with index match is that I, I just experienced this myself. I sometimes forget the syntax of index match without using it too often. Um, so if you really want to stick with that simple VLOOKUP, where it's just one formula, you can use this array syntax to construct your own type of lookup table where you can put the unique identifier or lookup value column as the first column, which is column I in this case for us, and then you can pull in whatever uh, table reference you want for F for the um, for the lookup table. I can also change this from F2 to H6. It's still going to be the same thing. And the nice thing about this is that if I drag this over to the market cap column, I can use the same exact formula, but I just change that lookup column index to three instead of two. And I'll still get the, whoops, no, there's actually, I want this to be uh, two now. Oh no, hold on a second, what am I doing here? F2, oh, this actually won't work now that I think about it. Do I have to do four? Yeah, four is the right answer. I'm basically constructing a table where the first column is I2 to I6, but then the second, third, and fourth columns are F2 to H6. And so it's kind of manually moving the ID column to the first one without doing cutting and pasting. So that's how you can stick to the VLOOKUP formula if you don't want to do index match to look up columns that are from your lookup table that are uh, to the left of your unique identifier or lookup column. Okay, in the second half of this episode, I'm going to talk about a few other podcasts that I found interesting recently. I think maybe uh, worth talking about here uh, for this episode. The first one is episode number 424 from the Shop Talk Shop Talk. Uh, podcasts, web components, frameworks versus vanilla, accessible numbers, and SVG memory usage. So it's kind of a, this, this show was kind of a cornucopia of different topics, but around minute 20, they start, uh, uh, Wes and Scott are talking about, uh, the building web components and agreeing on a web component, a web component framework for web developers. So it's like, how does, <clears throat> how did people decide to stick to React as a web framework? How do people decide to skip, um, you know, stick to Ruby on Rails, for instance? And they're talking about how a lot of companies, big companies, Facebook, Google, uh, Microsoft, are essentially sponsoring these kind of big open source projects that they used, that they probably started using internally and then open source the rest of the community. 
And they're talking about why do these companies do this in the first place. So, for instance, there are a lot of, uh, for instance, Microsoft, uh, for instance, Microsoft or Google rather, they are, they have this open source project called Lit, the language inter, interpretive, I can't talk right now, language interpretability tool. And it's a visual interactive model understanding tool for NLP models. And they just, uh, open sourced it, I think, last week, like August, um, late August. And the question is why? Why do, why does Google spend, they probably spent, you know, a few million dollars or whatever to work on this project internally. Then they open source it out and give it to free to anyone to build on top of, to use the framework and for people to build applications. Um, same thing for Facebook with React, same thing for, um, you know, uh, I mean, you can even say for Airbnb for releasing the <clears throat> Apache Airflow project. Why do these big companies do it? And in this episode, they talk about how one reason might be for hiring. If you release this open source framework um, like React and a bunch of developers are building websites and applications on top of it, it's going to be really easy to find uh, new talent for your for Facebook because you can just look up like who is using um, the React framework on their GitHub. You can start sourcing candidates that way. So one idea is hiring. The second idea, second um, motivation for why companies may agree to put budget behind these projects is because they want to get what Wes and Scott say, developer mindshare. And I think this is probably the more, uh, I think this is the logical reason for why companies are putting so much budget behind these projects and then open sourcing them is because they can get developers to, these companies can get mindshare from these developers and more importantly they're getting developers to build on top of their framework so now the developers are building the best um, websites applications for your framework the best um, tooling for your framework um, kind of doing word of mouth uh, evangelism for your framework to a certain extent if it's a good framework and it's also free so <clears throat> When it comes down to dominating kind of the mindset in terms of applications being built be, and really pushing forward the best framework and the best websites and the best applications, that is why that is why they the Scott and Wes in episodes say that this is a reason why um, companies are putting so much company put, putting so much resources behind these projects. Hiring could be a reason, but I think more importantly, it's the fact that you can get the best applications built on top of your uh, your framework. And to bring this back to Excel and Google Sheets, I think back to how um, Microsoft originally released VBA back in 1993. And so now you can, as a developer, if you want to call yourself that, from from a Microsoft Office application sample, and you can build these scripts and macros to automate a lot of things in your in your applications on the Microsoft Office suite. And then people were actually creating plugins and add-ins that you could actually sell to to automate things. And so now you're thinking about creating a marketplace around these open source frameworks. Well, I guess in VBA's case, it's not really open source because you have to have one of the Microsoft tools. But I think the idea is that you have this 
language or framework that anyone can really use and build on top of, and it just pushes everything forward, pushes um, the whole ecosystem forward in a certain, certain regard. And then you move over to Google, and they have you know the Google Suite with you know uh, Google Docs, Sheets, Slides. And then Google Apps Script came out, and that made it super simple to tie together all your different applications and giving developers who are used to writing JavaScript a way to automate tasks between different G Suite tools. And I think that kind of put some pressure on Microsoft in a way to up their game in terms of VBA because I think with Google Apps Script, you now have people that are able to create add-ons and similarly Google G Suite has a marketplace of add-ons you can put into your Google Sheets that connect your Google Sheets, for instance, with other SaaS applications. And Google Google Apps Script is free to use. It's not a paid um, resource. And it further just goes to show that why peop- why these big companies are putting all these dollars and budgets behind these these uh, tool chains and uh, kind of tools to allow developers to build on top of their their frameworks. And then I think the most recent iteration of for Microsoft is that they're releasing a, a Microsoft Office scripts, which is I think more similar to Google Apps scripts in terms of like it looks like you can um, write. JavaScript to automate things between Excel and other applications and also has this ability to record too, which is similar to macros. I'm not really sure how different it is from VBA to be honest, but just looks, it looks a lot more polished and clean compared to opening up like a VBA project, which can look kind of um, like 1990s IDE type of interface. Um, So I think, Again, making it simple and easy for developers to build on top of your platform. That's what really what Microsoft and Google have done really well with Google Apps Script and now Microsoft Office Scripts. So definitely check out that episode. Worth a listen, especially that part around minute 20 in terms of why companies are essentially sponsor these big projects that um, give developers the ability to build on top of their frameworks. And ultimately, it's to capture that mindshare and hopefully eventually down the line that will lead to um, more users, more sales for your company. The next episode is from the Knowledge Project with Shane Parrish, episode 89. It's with Maria Konnikova, uh, Less Certainty, More Inquiry. And around minute 41, and, and by the way, Maria is a professional poker player, psychologist, and author of uh, some New York Times bestselling books. And around minute 41, she brings up, uh, you know, coming from a poker playing background, she's obviously done a lot of work in terms of psychology of betting and how that relates to poker. And Shane and Maria bring up Immanuel Kant's The Critique of Pure Reason book. And in this book, they're talking about betting and what Kant believes in terms of betting and beliefs. And the thought experiment that they that Kant proposes and Maria kind of talks more about in this episode around minute 41 is what if everyone in the world, and for you listening right now, what if you had to put money behind your opinions 
and beliefs. Well, I guess in from a pure def- def- definition standpoint, if it's a belief, you hopefully believe in it 100. percent But a lot of people are spewing opinions and uh, you know just different ideas and potential facts on Twitter and other social media. And it's all based on things they read and things that they feel like are true. But what if you had to put actual money behind the opinions you made? And more importantly, what if that amount could change depending on your belief in or depending on how strong a conviction you have in your opinion? So, for instance, if you asked a doctor to say... How much would you be willing to put ten dollars on the diagnosis of of your you know recent diagnosis for a cancer patient, for instance? And the doctor might say ten dollars. Yeah, it's not that much money. I'd be I would put money behind that, and I would say my diagnosis is correct. What if that doctor was now being forced to bet a hundred dollars to see how convicted he or she was on their diagnosis? Now, what if you up that to a million dollars? Now, if the doctor had to say, had to bet a million dollars on whether or not their diagnosis was correct, they would put a lot more scrutiny into, you know, did I do the proper MRIs, the x-rays, and doing the full diagnosis correctly, or doing the full, um, this rundown of like all the different symptoms that com- the patient is facing. It'd be a lot more stringent and due diligence done in terms of whether or not that doctor would believe in their opinion. And I think that it's a really interesting thought experiment for you out there is if you claim to believe something, how much money would it take for you to lose that conviction? And I think an interesting experiment is just saying, like, if I had to put $10 on this conviction or a million dollars, wouldn't my conviction change? Because now I'm not so sure that I would lose, I would want to lose a million dollars and say that global warming is fake or global warming is real. And those are the kind of decisions and uh, I think those are the kind of thought experiments that we all should think about before we just open our mouths and start talking whatever we want to say um, on, on social media and Twitter and what have you. And just to kind of pull from the actual text from the book, um, I think this, this paragraph, I, I actually pulled this from the Library of Economics and Liberty, and this is from the book here, the so here it goes. The usual touchstone, whether that which someone asserts is merely his persuasion, or at least his subjective conviction, that is, his firm belief, is betting. It often happens that someone propounds his views with such positive and uncompromising assurance that he seems to have entirely set aside all thought of possible error. A bet disconcerts him. And that's, I think, the uneasiness you might feel when you think about, will I bet, will I, am I willing to bet $10 or a million dollars and saying that my conviction is correct? That's the, that's the disconcert, disconcerting feelings. A best, a bet disconcert, back to the text, a bet disconcerts him. Sometimes it turns out that he has a conviction which can be estimated at a value of one ducat, but not of ten. For he is very willing to venture one ducat, but when it is a question of ten, he becomes aware, as he had not previously been, that it may very well be that he is in error. If, in a given case, we represent ourselves as staking, 
the happiness of our whole life, the triumphant tone of our judgment is greatly abated. We become extremely diffident and discover for the first time that our belief does not reach so far. Thus, pragmatic, pragmatic belief always exists in some specific degree, which, according to differences in the interests at stake, may be large or may be small. And so when you say you stake your judgment, base, you're, basically I think, I really like this statement, the triumphant tone of our judgment is greatly abated because we are staking different amounts, different amounts now on whether or not we are representing ourselves and our beliefs correctly. And then he says, our beliefs do not reach so far. So I think it's just really, I really like this idea of like betting. And I think poker, of course, is one of the best um, games because now you're really thinking about, uh, but one of the best games to show this, this, uh, concept in the abstract is because the more money at stake, the more you think about, oh, should I counter, should I, uh, should I re-raise, should I, you know, stay in this pot? And I think taking that concept over to just everyday beliefs in society and culture is a really interesting thought experiment. Okay, that wraps up this episode of Dear Analyst. Mm-hmm.